Well, good morning, church family. It has been a blessed day to once again gather together for worship this morning. God is faithful. The Holy Spirit is in our midst. Jesus is with us and for us. And in light of those realities, grace and peace be with each one of you. As we continue our series this, uh, of, called Roots this fall, we now come to our second Sunday of three centered on Jesus. And today, we look at the relationship between Jesus and the scriptures, Jesus and the Bible. A few weeks ago, I led the sermon with this question, what is Christianity? And, uh, you know, talked through different perspectives on that, and then we went to an Anabaptist Mennonite perspective. And then another week of this series, I asked the question, what is salvation? Uh, and again, from an Anabaptist Mennonite perspective. And today, as we consider the Bible, as we cons consider the scriptures, what is the Bible? It's beginning to sound like Jeopardy in here. What is, what, fill, you know, fill in the blank. What is the Bible? What is it useful, useful for? And what is the Anabaptist Mennonite approach to the Bible? How do they interpret the Bible and seek to put it into action in our lives? So let's return to the scripture text that Anna read earlier, though uh, at this point, so we have Paul. Paul uh, wrote this uh, letter to Timothy, and I want to give this to you a second time, but I want to do it in the EPV. The EPV version is the Eric Potter version, okay? So I wanted to give this to you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired, inerrant, infallible, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped to have the right answers for all situations. So that they may be thoroughly equipped to privately think of themselves better than others. Thoroughly equipped to use the Bible to defend their political ideologies. Thoroughly equipped to judge others. Thoroughly equipped for complete certainty in life. Thoroughly equipped for, to justify racism, sexism, and all of the isms. Now we know that that's not the correct version that Anna read to us a moment ago. But in my estimation, stemming from experience both personally, that is me with a raised hand, um, I find that these are often true. That I do use the Bible in those sorts of ways. Would you say amen? Anyone else? Or if, or if I'm alone today, I can, I can just you know, preach to myself, I don't know, so uh, put a mirror right here, just looking at myself. So this, from personal experience and from external experiences, I think sometimes these things are true, aren't they? So I don't know about you, but I have a, I've had a beautiful yet complicated relationship with this thing called the Bible in my life, okay? Again, as many of you know, I grew up Catholic, and in our household, I remember the one Bible that we had was on the shelf in the hallway collecting dust above my dad's records. 
And the Bible was also to be found in the pews at our church at St. Michael's. Years later, at the age of 22, after I experienced what it means to be born again, I was taught by those discipling me that the Bible is God's love letter to his people. God's love letter to his people. And I like this imagery. I do. I like this imagery because we need to spend time reading it and rereading it and rereading it again, this love letter, as much as we can. Has anyone ever gotten a letter from uh, someone significant, a family member, um, maybe it's a partner in life, where you got that letter and you seem to spend some time with it, reading it and rereading it and rereading it? Anyone else receive a, a letter like this? This happens for me. So why all this rereading of the Bible? Well, it's God's love letter to you. That's what I was taught. But then in practice, it turned into not a love letter, but for me, my experience is that it went from a love letter to a textbook. A textbook. Why? In order to know, that is, in the mind, in order to know who God is or was. What I was taught in those early days, in those early years, is that one's relationship with the Bible equals one's relationship with God. Because the more you know that is in your mind, the closer and the more intimate you would be with your creator. In that particular parachurch uh, college ministry that was disciple me, I was introduced to the extreme importance of scripture memorization. Scripture memorization. I was given packets from this topical memory system, TMS, and I used... Um, And I used these to memorize verses, you know, one, two verses at a time on each card uh, based on topics like salvation, grace, service, and the Bible itself, of which 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 was one of those cards. So this verse was one of the first verses that I was encouraged to commit to my heart and to my mind. The other one related to scripture was Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That was the TMS, the topical memory system. And I had taken so seriously this, this thing to, um, uh, to, to, to memorize scripture that I moved away just from these mere packets of 40 Verses into the memorization of entire books. Uh, So I committed to memory Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians in those early years. Uh, Books that I dove into and memorized because I was taught that your relationship with the Bible equals your relationship with God. So with all this knowing and all this memorization, I must have been super, super, super close to God, right? Uh, Well, in fact, it may have been impressive to others to do all this memorization, but I'm not so sure that it was all that impressive to Jesus or that it, it in fact, gave me a stronger relationship with God. As I jumped into youth ministry, I still held in high esteem the importance of Scripture to a point where I teetered on what has been come to known as bibliolatry. I have to always, bibliolatry, I never say that word. It's a form of idolatry. 
elevating Scripture to a place of prominence that it simply wasn't meant to hold. The Bible, in some Protestant circles, can become the fourth person of the Trinity, meaning that it's almost, it can almost be worshipped in and of itself, the Bible. Now, some use this term, bibliolatry, referring to groups, maybe such as some fundamentalist groups, or maybe even evangelical background, such as the movement of King James Only, the King James Only movement, where we only read that version of the Bible, and espouse biblical inerrancy to uh, sola scriptura approach, holding that the scripture alone has divine authority. Christians may use this this term to characterize either extreme devotion to the Bible or the doctrine of biblical inerrancy. Now, supporters of this biblical inerrancy would use a verse like today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, interpreting that verse to say that the Bible, as received, is the complete source of what, it must, be, what must be known about God, period. But then you have to ask the question, well, what about the Holy Spirit? What about experience? What about tradition? What about all these other things? Are there other ways of knowing? Critics of this, uh, this term, um, of this way of being, uh, call it a form of idolatry, pointing to verses such as John chapter 5, where Jesus indicates and he asks humanity to relate to God uh, directly rather than blindly relying on written rules. Verse 39, it says this, You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life found in the written rules. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now remember, in those early days of being a new Christian, a new believer for myself, if there was a Bible study, I'm in. If there was a Bible study, I'm in. I joined as many groups as possible because uh, the study of the scriptures was so very elevated and super important. But then what I soon discovered is that head knowledge only puffed up my ego. Head knowledge began to puff up my ego. So I'm not so sure that approaching the scriptures like a textbook to study in order to nail the big test of life is, is particularly a healthy way to view the scriptures. Again, because it's an activity that happens primarily only in the brain. Now, please hear me. I am thankful, so grateful for all of the Bible studies, the scripture memorization, all the things that were part of my journey since being born again. So I just want to just name that, okay? Uh, super important for that season of my life and the season um, of walking with Jesus at that time. But friends, when we read the Bible, we're, we are actually eavesdropping on an ancient spiritual journey. As it is a diverse story of God and how his people have connected with him over the centuries in changing circumstances and in changing situations. The Bible, if read from front to back, is the story of God told from the limited point of view of real people living in a time, a certain time, in a certain place. So, back to the question. What is the Bible? 
what is it useful for? And how is it that Anabaptist Mennonites approach it and interpret it and seek to put it into action in their lives? According to the Center of, uh, for the Study of Global Christianity, estimations show that there are now more than 200 Christian denominations in the U.S. and a staggering 45,000 Christian denominations globally. Why so many different kinds of churches? Well, one reason is how we approach, read, and interpret and apply this into our lives. It's one of the reasons. Now, all of these divisions, these splits, were made possible with the invention of the printing press in 1440, which is about 75 years before the Reformation. This meant that getting the Bible into the hands of not just scholars and monks, but the Word of God is now distributed to everyone. In the early days of the Reformation, 1515 to uh, 1550, there were 30 new translations in a variety of different languages that were not Greek, Hebrew, or Latin. Now, ordinary followers of the way can read or be read to from the scriptures. Today, just on Bible.com alone, there are currently over 1,700 versions of this in over 1,200 different languages available on Bible.com. So I share all of this because the Bible went from a communal event to an individual practice. It went from a communal experience to an individual practice, and this changes things. Because it came down to accessibility. This, this then created new divisions, new factions, as a, as a result of reading it, studying it, and interpreting it in so many, many different ways and in many different contexts, places, and times, and culture. It's hard to trace it all. Now, we know that the early Anabaptists were indeed on the margins of society, suffering from great persecution. So the early Anabaptists actually felt that they had a leg up on interpretation of Scripture because it was written to people who experienced the same kind of persecution when it was first written. So, uh, so here we're going to turn to Palmer Becker's Anabaptist Essentials, and he offers four really helpful categories or approaches to Scripture okay, to help make sense of it all. The first approach is known as the flat approach to the Bible. Here, there is no distinction between Old Testament and New Testament. We learn from Moses. We know what the prophets said. We know what Jesus taught and what Paul preached. But they're all equal in value. Now someone or a church denomination with this flat approach, can, it can and often does lend itself to a very literal reading of the text. You ever heard someone say, whatever the Bible says, that's what I believe or that's what I do. Which is funny if you could then reply back with, so you don't wear clothing woven together with two different kinds of material. Okay? Or every seven years, you let your garden rest, okay? uh, and nothing is to be planted in it. You do that every seven years. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I do. Or what are your family plans for the festival of, of unleavened bread? 
the festival of harvest or the festival of ingathering. I didn't know you celebrated those holidays, right? Okay, whatever the Bible says, that's what I do. A.J. Jacobs, um, and back in 2007, wrote this book, um, The Year of Living Biblically. Okay, and I think there's a short documentary on it as well. It's a very fascinating read if you want to dive into it. But this flat, this literal approach can be helpful, but in the end, everyone picks and chooses how to apply it based on one's background, culture, and context. And we too are guilty of this. Okay? So with this flat approach, when it comes to matters of national or global politics, especially if it's related to war or capital punishment or, or organizing ourselves as a society, the Old Testament is often more quoted than the New. I'll give you an example. One of the top planners of the U.S. war in Iraq gave President George Bush secret intelligence briefs, headlines with biblical, biblical quotations in, a, in an effort to boost, boost his own understanding with the deeply religious president. The cover of one of those intelligence briefings shows U.S. soldiers kneeling in prayer, headlined with the verse from the book of Isaiah, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here I am, Lord. Send me. This is sad. So that's a global or national politics kind of thing or ethics. When it comes to personal ethics, it's actually, you know, we quote, we seem to like to quote Paul more than we do Jesus himself. So no matter what uh, verses or portion of the Bible we look at, the Old Testament points to, um, uh, well, no, the, the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have to ask these questions. We have to ask these questions when we're reading the text. Are these, are these verses, are these things um, a descriptive of the times and culture and what people knew about God at that time? Or are they prescriptive and that what they say is to always be carried out now and forevermore? descriptive or prescriptive. Next week, we have the blessing of having Sarah Tunnell preaching an Anabaptist understanding of uh, the relationship of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? And the Jeopardy theme continues. Uh, but from the book, Palmer Becker, he says, Anabaptists taught scripture and spirit together. Scripture and spirit together. Which would be in contrast to what Martin Luther uh, felt as sola scriptura, Scripture alone. The Anabaptists had Scripture and Spirit together. Though we do know that a reliance on the Holy Spirit for interpretation doesn't mean that the Scriptures now become straightforward and free of nuances, right? It's still complicated. But there's a reliance on the Holy Spirit. So for Anabaptists, Word and Spirit are, word and spirit are to be dance partners as it relates to understanding and interpretation of the scriptures. There's a song that was um, sung earlier, Lord, you surely speak in the scriptures. Words that summon from the page, shown and taught us by your spirit. Fresh light for what? For every age. So if it wasn't a flat reading of the Bible for Anabaptists, perhaps it was a dispensational reading. What? Dispensational? <laughs> what are we doing here? Uh, this holds to the idea that God carries different wills during various periods of dispensations or, or, or periods of, of 
of history, how God interacts with his people, how God, what God says to his people through scripture needs to be interpreted according to what dispensation or what period it is in, right? So there's four, there's four right there that are mentioned, okay? What can and often happens in this dispensational approach is that there's a, um, uh, a focus on prophecy, a focus on what is happening to Israel. This rules the day. Jesus and his church has holds less significance, uh, has less significance, and um, it's a focus on the end time. When will Jesus return? The next dispensation. And important things like biblical justice have to ride in the back seat. Yes, Jesus and his teachings were important in the day that they were delivered by Jesus when spoken. And we shall take up those teachings when Jesus returns again. But what about now? But what about now? This approach is, is about prophecy, and it's future-oriented rather than being orient, oriented around Jesus in the present moment. So it's not that um, this is not the Anabaptist approach, however. Um, so maybe it's what the third focus or the third category would be, spiritualized, Christ-centered approach. Is it this? This one sounds good, right? This one, this one sounds good. Um, the key word here is spiritualized. We know that Jesus is God's son. We know that he is fully God, fully divine, but we also know he's fully human, right? With this emphasis on the spiritualized Christ, the focus then becomes on Jesus' death and resurrection alone, rather than on his human life, life and teachings, right? In other words, the Old Testament points forward to the death and resurrection, and the New Testament points backwards to the death and resurrection. But friends, we know that our Redeemer lives, even now. Meaning, just as Jesus was alive in first century Palestine, he lives and we are invited to follow him now, in our flesh, in the context of a Jesus-centered community. So lastly, an approach that maybe more closely represents the Anabaptists would be this ethical, Christ-centered approach. Here, we have the gifts, we, we are gifted by the voices of Abraham, Moses, David, and the prophet Paul. We are gifted by these voices, all providing ongoing revelation of who God is, though at the same time, we find in Jesus the full embodiment and the full expression of what God is actually like. I mean, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, five different times related to murder adultery, oaths, revenge, and love of enemies. What does he say? You have heard it said. You have heard it said. But I say unto you. Also, Jesus, near the end of his time on earth, said this, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. This is Matthew 28. This has huge significance as we respond to what Jesus actually did and taught. Moses didn't say, go back to one slide. Yeah, Moses didn't say this. David didn't say this. Paul didn't say this. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So then this quote from Palmer Becker, Jesus, since Jesus is the fullest revelation of God and God's will, he is the key to interpreting the scriptures. 
the entire Bible needs to be uh, interpreted through the eyes and the nature of Jesus. Anabaptist followers of Jesus do not diminish in any way the importance of Scripture. I'll say it again. Anabaptists, Mennonites, do not in any way diminish the importance of the, of the Scriptures. Though that it seeks to remind us that Jesus is actually to be held in greater honor than the Bible itself. I like how Peter N. says it. The Bible is not, never has been, and never will be the center of the Christian faith. Even though the Bible, at least in some form, has been ever-present since the beginning of Christianity, it is not the central focus of the Christian faith. That position belongs to God. Specifically, what God has done in and through Jesus. The Bible is the church's non-negotiable partner. I'll say it again. The Bible is the church's non-negotiable partner. I love that. But it is not God's final word. It is, in fact, Jesus. Our experience is that a Jesus-centered approach to the scripture that views the whole of both Testaments. We have to have the view of scripture. Um, we look through the lens of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This results in a different way of interpreting the Bible on issues such as nonviolence, truth-telling, economics, power, gender relations, mission, and the nature of the church. So one of final thought is this. The Bible is that the Bible through the lens of Jesus, and this last part is a, a, a unique Anabaptist move as well, in community. In community. Anabaptists hold a strong conviction that the congregation, not the scholars or the preachers, the congregation is the proper place for the Bible to be interpreted holding to the, under, uh, the idea that understanding the Bible is a communal practice. Together, it's a communal practice. So you can bring your Bibles from home back to the church, and we'll just do it here only. No, it's a joke. Are we, are we still awake? It's a joke. <laughs> but there was an emphasis. Before the printing press, y'all didn't have a Bible. You weren't alive before then, but <laughs> it wouldn't have been possible. Or it's in the in your pocket, on the phone, right? It's in community, in community. I was, um, the family and I were part of Imago Day Church for nine years, and my former pastor, Charlie Dean, uh, during the sermon portion of the liturgy, would open the text up to the congregation and invite their thoughts and views on, on the passage, the ideas, the theme, and it invited a multi-voice approach to the scriptures. I loved that. I love that practice because it invited vocal participants rather than passive spectators. Love it. I tried that for a few years here in my first year, but this is what I experienced. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> okay. So, but maybe it just it takes more practice to do this kind of thing. Also, Charlie was really good at the back and forth as well a gift that he possesses that maybe I don't have. So I want to end with the actual verses, not the EPV version. No. 
I want to end with the actual verses um, from this, this text. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, the emphasis is on practical application, not on study for knowledge alone. If, it's, if it isn't fleshed out in community and daily living, you might as well just leave it on the shelf. Anabaptists have a long and rich heritage and hold to the ideal of interpretation that's not simply to understand the Bible, but to discover how to live it out faithfully. I just want to close with that last verse from the song sung earlier. Lord, you always speak in Jesus, always new, yet still the same. Teach us now more of our Savior. Make our lives display his name. Oh, Lord, you always speak in Jesus. Amen.